All right, good evening. Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles tonight. Galatians chapter 3. Good to see you on this Monday night. This is a tremendous Monday night crowd. And uh, as you turn to Galatians 3, you might want to go ahead and uh, find uh, a piece of paper, a bookmarker, and put it over in Romans 6. We'll actually spend much of our time in Romans 6, but I want us to launch there from Galatians 3 because there's a wonderful connection. And uh, last night, at the end of the message, we were dealing with the deliverance part. Uh, We were looking at the concept of the righteous reigning. Isn't that an amazing wording that God gives us in Romans 5.17? Reigning in life by one Jesus Christ. And uh, we talked about uh, wrong ways of thinking that hinder us from accessing that provision that we have in Christ. And so we uh, uh, dealt with that description and uh, thinking to diagnose a sin-conscious way of thinking versus a God-conscious way of thinking. And then we were looking at the deliverance part. We want to take uh, that part of the message and begin to peel back some details and some layers of truth in what we're going to look at tonight. And so this is an amazing text of Scripture. And the uh, details of Romans 6 will open up what we're going to read here in Galatians 3. And so let's uh, look to the Lord to speak to all of us tonight. Glad you're here. So Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6. Hope you've had a good day. And even if you haven't, I'm glad you're here tonight. And, And when the Lord speaks to our hearts, all of a sudden the whole perspective of the day changes. That's what we need. So Galatians chapter 3, the inspired text tells us, I'm going to begin to read in verse 24, for the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. We noted that last night. Uh, The law has no power to enable us to do right. We saw that in Romans 5.20. But it is the schoolmaster, the tutor, to point us to Jesus. In other words, the law doesn't help us do right. It shows us when we do wrong. And therefore, it shows us we need Jesus as our Savior. So it's the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that, it says at the end of verse 24, we might be justified. There's that declared righteous, that imputed righteousness, that we might be justified by faith. Why? Because we need Jesus. The whole reason he went to the cross is that he's the Savior, and so the law shows us we don't meet God's standard of perfection on our own. We need Jesus, and so we're justified when we put our faith in Jesus. Verse 25, but after that, faith is come... In other words, you you have been justified through faith. We're no longer under a schoolmaster. In other words, the law is no longer the leader. Why? Well, verse 26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so you were justified and you became a child of God when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. And then you have this explanatory verse, verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now what does that mean? When you were a believer in Jesus, this happened. You were baptized into Christ. What does that mean? And you were clothed with or put on. Or the same word is translated endued with, over in Luke 24, Christ. Fascinating. There's something about that being put into Christ and being clothed with Christ that is connecting you in a vital union to the living Christ on the throne. So I want to tap into a phrase that I used last night, and that'll be the title of the message tonight, Life Streaming. Ah, blessed Holy Spirit, be our teacher tonight. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, to the amazing provision, not just of a new destiny in heaven, 
but of a life stream from heaven into our lives right now. And so, Spirit of God, would you connect the dots? Would you nurture faith, Lord, in a way that makes a difference so that we walk by faith and thus grow in grace and experience Jesus day in and day out? And so I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from Satan's attack, who certainly doesn't want us to get this. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you on the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight. And Lord, I trust you that that not be allowed. And so, Lord, would you breathe on us now? May we honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I entered full-time evangelism, what I do now in traveling, 31 years ago. It was January 1992. Uh, so my wife and I have been on the road uh, for over 30 years in a different church almost every week. And, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, most of the time you try to work out a geographic uh, uh, schedule of uh, churches so that it all makes sense. But once in a while, you've got to move from one section of the country to the other. And in the States, that can take a while. And so whenever you had a California tour, it would take several days to get out there. And uh, this was rare for us because usually I was in a church on a Sunday. But once in a while, we had to travel on a Sunday. And so when that happened, at uh, 10.30 or 11 o'clock, we'd look for a church uh, uh, in some town that we're passing through. And we'd stop and hope for the best. <laughs> and that got interesting. But uh, at any rate... Uh, then, as technology changed, there came the day when we could just live stream our home church, Ann Arbor Baptist Church, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so here we are driving across New Mexico on Interstate 40, <laughs> and we're watching right into the auditorium at Ann Arbor Baptist Church as it's happening. It is amazing, but you know, God had this live streaming thing figured out long before man did. And God's view and God's way is even better because it's more than live streaming, it's life streaming. There is the very life of Jesus on the throne. This Jesus who walked our earth, lived that sinless life, went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell, was ascended to the right hand of the Father. That throne life, according to our text tonight, we are to access. It is being streamed into everyone who is here called a child of God. Life Streaming. See, if you're joined to Jesus, as this text talks about, then you have the privilege of life streaming the very life of Jesus right now. Now, how in the world can that be? That's a pretty amazing thought. Well, I want us to see God's reasoning tonight, because that's the reasoning that counts. And God's way of thinking is always different than ours. And so let's let God's reasoning build our faith tonight. So three reasons. Number one, and this is what we'll see here in Galatians, then we'll jump over into Romans. But number one, God identifies you with Christ's life. That is, if you have put your faith in Jesus. So again, back to verse 26. For you are all the children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. So when there's been that moment when you've understood that sin really is the problem because it causes us to fall short of God's standard of himself, which is perfection, and that there really is a consequence, there is a judgment, there is a, an awful place called hell that Jesus actually preached about because he uh, came to save us from that. But when you understand that Jesus is the Savior, 
that all of our sin was put on him so that his righteousness might be credited over to us. And you make that choice to stop depending on yourself and you transfer your dependence. In other words, you take your confidence out of yourself and whatever you've been trusting in and you simply transfer it into Jesus to apply his saving work at the cross to you once and for all. At that moment, you've exercised faith in Christ. You've believed not just about him, but in him. That is, you're depending on him. It's like sitting down on a chair. You are depending on him to actually save you. And at that moment, according to verse 26, uh, you are, at that point, a child of God. Now, there's whole reasons for that, but that's what it says. You are the children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. And then it gives this explanation. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, often theologians argue and people argue and, uh, about whether or not a given passage that uses the word baptism is talking about water baptism or if it's talking about spirit baptism. Well, there's an easy way to figure it out. If in the scriptural text, the person doing the baptizing is a human being, and if the element being baptized into is H2O, then it's water baptism. <laughs> but if the person doing the baptizing is deity, and the element being baptized into is deity, then that is spirit baptism. So when it says here, for as many of you as been, has, have been baptized into Christ, deity, have put on Christ. Are we talking about water baptism or spirit baptism? It's spirit baptism. Because it's talking about being baptized into Christ. Now, there's two major truths here that verse 27 is pointing up. You are in Christ the moment you put your faith in him, and Christ is in you. Now, if you think of a sponge, if I were to immerse, that's what the word baptize means, if I were to immerse a, summer, a, a sponge or place a sponge into a bowl of water, as the sponge goes into the water, as it's immersed into the water, it's immediately enveloped with the water as the water moves into the sponge. In similar fashion, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, yes, your sins are forgiven, yes, there's all these salvation truths that take place, but at that moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes you. He immerses you. He simply places you into Christ. It's what it says. And as you're plunged into Jesus, you're enveloped with Jesus, you're clothed with Jesus as he places his spirit into you. And so, once you believe in Jesus, you're in him, and he's in you. That's in the spiritual dimension. Now, it's not figurative, it's spiritual. And when it's spiritual, it's just as real as if it were physical. It's just that it's not physical, it's spiritual. But what we're talking about here is not figurative language. It is literal. It's just that it's spiritual, not physical. You are placed into Christ. That is a reality, and you are clothed with Christ because Christ placed his spirit in into you now that's why god identifies you and i if you if you're a believer in jesus with christ's life because you're in him and you've been clothed with him as he has moved into you now let's go to romans chapter 6 for the rest of the message 
because it's going to give us some more details about the significance of that baptism, that spirit baptism. Now, last night we were in Romans 5, verse 17 and following, and so obviously we're just uh, uh, the next couple of verses right after that here in Romans chapter 6. So the first reason, we're talking about God's reasoning, uh, why we can live stream is that God identifies you with Christ's life. Here's the second reason. God identifies you with Christ's history. And this is a stunning truth. And we're going to see it here in Romans 6. Most of what we'll look at is Romans 6. I will refer to Ephesians 1 and 2, though I won't have you turn there uh, for what we're going to see here. But when God identifies you with his life, there's a logical follow-up. He identifies you with Christ's history, letting us know that when you are placed into Jesus, not only do you get a new future, you're on your way to heaven instead of hell. You get a new past. Now let that truth sink in because it's true. When you are placed into Jesus, you are placed into his history. How do you know? Okay, well, there's several facts that the text points out here. First of all, you died with Christ. Look at verse 3. Know ye not, the text says. Now, anytime the Bible speaks that way, it means you probably don't know this, but you need to. <laughs> it says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. So there's our tie-in to Galatians. And it's saying, look, don't you know that so many of us as were immersed into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? There it is. Why? Because when you're placed into Jesus, you're obviously placed into his history, and that includes his death. Now, this is very significant in its ramifications, because look back up at verse 2 at the stunning statement. In other words, when you, when you see that justification is by faith, Romans 1 through 5, and you see that there's this provision for the righteous to reign and so forth, some people come to the wrong conclusion. So verse 1 of chapter 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, may abound. No, if I got my ticket to heaven, why don't I just go out and live like the devil? Who gives a rip? Well, that's a conclusion that the apostle Paul knew some people would make. And what's interesting is he does not go back and make it harder to get saved. No, it is by grace through faith. That's how you get justified. But he points forward to what that provision means. Verse 2, God forbid, wrong conclusion. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Literally, how shall we who have died to sin live in sin any longer now a couple of things we got to catch here because that's got to mean something i would uh, when i was a teenager i remember hearing preachers say you're dead to sin and i remember thinking uh i don't feel dead to sin i just turned 60 a few weeks ago you're supposed to gasp and say there's no way, but uh, at any rate, I turned 60, and you know at 60, I still don't feel that to sin. So what does it mean? It's got to mean something. Now, what's really interesting is when you read Romans 1 through 5, the emphasis is sins in the plural, actions. But when you come into Romans 6 through 8, it switches to sin in the singular. So it's a different emphasis and that's what we need to understand when it comes to this matter of dying to sin. What we're going to see here is that through death with Christ, the old you, your old core, 
and we'll see what that is in a moment, was severed. See, the practical essence of death is separation. So the old you was separated, severed from the old master of indwelling sin. You died to sin. So let's talk about that. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is, literally has been crucified with him. Now, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 6 is a parallel text, but it's even more specific. It tells us what part of the I got crucified. It says, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. Now, who's that? In other words, the question is, who got killed? <laughs> because when Jesus was crucified, he died. And if we're crucified with him, something, someone, better stated, died. So who died? <laughs> who got crucified? Who got killed? Well, in physical death, we know that it, uh, in physical death, the soul separates from the body. Now, the best I can tell, that has not happened for anyone in this audience <laughs> yet. <laughs> so don't do it tonight, okay? Uh, but that lets us know that we're not talking about soul or body. So the old man is evidently not the soul or the body because they're still connected. They're still living in that union. Well, the only part of us left that could be, that it could be talking about would be our human spirit. So the old man is the unregenerated human spirit. So there's our body, that's the outer circle we might say. There's our soul, that's the next circle in, kind of like on a target. And then the bullseye would be the human spirit. That is labeled prior to salvation as the old man. Or for the women in the audience, the old lady. I shouldn't have said that, but uh, <laughs> at any rate. So the old man, now it says, knowing this, that the old man, the old you, the old core, was crucified with him. Now look. In order for that old man to die, it has to, there had to have been a union that's getting severed. Remember, the practical essence of death is separation. So just like the soul separates from the body at physical death, in order for this old man to die with Christ, as it says here, there has to be a separation taking place. Well, who is the old man getting separated from? Back up to verse 2. See it with your own eyes. It says, how shall we that are dead to, what's the word? Sin. See, the union that's getting severed is the old man from an entity here called sin. Now again, not sins as in actions, plural, but sin in the singular, which is described for us in Romans 7, the next chapter, as sin which dwelleth in me. So I'm going to shorten that phrase to indwelling sin. So there is a union prior to our salvation in the immaterial part of our being between our old man, the old core, the old us, uh, that unregenerated human spirit with this old master, we might say, of indwelling sin. Now, let's go even further. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Let's talk about that phrase for a second. You see, 
Sin is not sins, it's that pull in us that urges us to commit sins. So, when there is a trigger of temptation, and you feel the pull to enter that temptation, that is indwelling sin. That's who you used to be joined to prior to salvation, shackled to bonded to, glued to. You used to be stuck to that old uh, sin master. Fascinating. You see, when it says that the body of sin, see, sin, the entity, this, this pull on us to commit sins, sin can't lead us to sins without a body. <laughs> so when it says the body of sin, it's just simply saying that the body is the turf. Where indwelling sin seeks to operate, seeks to lead us into sins. And it says here that the body of sin might be destroyed. That's a little uh, hard for us to understand. It's not the idea of annihilated. We still have our bodies after salvation. It's that the body of sin might be deprived of its power. So you're not just having to succumb to all of these sins that this sin entity is pulling you toward. And it's so that that body of sin that's been programmed to cave in and have all these bad habits, it's that that body of sin might be rendered powerless, deprived of its power, so that, look at the last phrase, henceforth we should not serve sin. See, sin is being personified as a master who is served. So the biblical text is personifying the human spirit with the phrase old man, and then there is this relationship with this old master, this sin entity, and that the body of sin might be rendered a, a, a powerless so that we should no longer serve like a slave that old master of indwelling sin. Now, how does this work? It says, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with Christ. And because of that, verse 2 says, we died to sin, but... We can't do this on our own. <laughs> we need Jesus to do it for us. So jump down to verse 10, one of the greatest phrases, in my opinion, in the New Testament, in its significance, and it's often overlooked, is verse 10. It says, for in that he, that's Jesus, died, he died unto sin once. Now, that is a different truth than the gospel to sinners which is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 15, how that Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah for that. This is the gospel to the saints, that not only did this Jesus die for our sins, as all of our sins were put on him, he died unto sin. That's different. And that presupposes that there was a moment when Jesus had to come into union with sin. Not just bearing the sins of the world, but union with this whole problem of sin. Now, yesterday was Palm Sunday. We have Good Friday coming up. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday next week. Now, think on that Good Friday, on that crucifixion day, what happened? You ever notice in the text of the Gospels, it tells us that the entire earth went dark for three hours, 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So in the middle of the day, it went dark. Friends, it was the darkest day in history, and yet 
<laughs> the dawn of the brightest day <laughs> that was about to come. But it was, the dark, it was the dark moment of history. Why? You remember that Jesus cried out, the Bible tells us, with a loud voice. He made several statements, and one of them was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, those are pretty strong words. What was Jesus saying? Friends, in those hours, for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus, the Son of God, who was functioning as the Son of Man on earth to represent us. We'll talk about that tomorrow night, Lord willing. Jesus, the Son of God, yet functioning as the Son of Man, was separated. See, that's the essence of death. From God the Father. Why? Because he was in an actual contact with the filth of the sins of the human race. Do you know that the sins of the very first Adam and Eve who walked in the Garden of Eden to the sins of the last human being who will ever live were all put on Jesus in those hours? That is why the scripture calls Jesus the last Adam. He's never called the second Adam. He's called the second man. And there's a reason uh, uh, for the wording there. He's called the last Adam. Why? Because the sins of the race were put on Jesus. He bore our sins. He came into contact with the whole sin problem. And no wonder he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. It was not because he was wanting to run from the cross. No way. He came to save sinners. Everything he says, even right before the cross in the Gospel of John, is that that's where he's headed. Well, then why the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was the way of the cross. It was that for the very first time in all of eternity, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, God the Son, functioning as the Son of Man, was separated from the Father because he was in an actual contact with the sins of us and before he voluntarily gave up his spirit he cried with a loud voice it is finished <laughs> and then as our text says in verse 10 he died unto sin once now let's put it together when you put your faith in Jesus and become a child of God Galatians 3 26 at that moment the spirit baptizes you into Christ and as our text says in verse 3 of Romans 6, don't you know that when you were baptized into Jesus, you're baptized into his death. So here it is. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were placed into Jesus, which means you're placed into his history, which means you're placed into his death. And at that point in the immaterial part of you where your old man is joined and shackled and glued and stuck to this old master of indwelling sin, at that moment as you're placed into Christ and his history and his death, the cross comes in like a giant knife and cuts through all of those shackles and sets you free that's when you died to indwelling sin now you see it stated in the very next verse look at verse 7 for he that is dead he who has died has been freed liberated set free separated from indwelling sin so that relationship that union with this pole that's urging us to commit sins. And prior to salvation, we were stuck to that guy. It was forced slavery. The moment you got saved, you were set free. You died to indwelling sin. Now, that sin master still resides in your soul and body levels. That's why we're not perfect. But your spirit 
was set free. You got liberated, freed from sin. It's going to even get better when we get to the next point. But I don't want us to miss this. Because when you got set free, you got set free. The old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed. Now, for years, my wife and I traveled in a, an RV. So we were travelers. A little different than what you have over here, but at any rate. Uh, uh, we lived in a, a fifth-wheel trailer for years. Uh, I don't have it anymore, but uh, for 25 years, that's what we did. Well, back in 2009, the Lord led, and, and uh, we got a house. There was the... Uh, the economy had crashed and houses in Michigan uh, where we were based out of were getting cheap because of the auto industry collapsing and everything that was going on. In fact, you could buy a house in Detroit for a buck. <laughs> you wouldn't want it. Uh, but houses were going in Detroit uh, in 2008 and 2009 for $1. But uh, now this was more than a buck, and this was not Detroit. This is out in the country. Uh, but uh, we picked up this house uh, on the uh, foreclosure market. And, uh, you know, we don't, we're not home very often, but this is how the Lord loves to got this house. So we moved in. It was December. I'm on the road most of the time, but holiday time, you get to go home. And so that's when we moved in. And uh, uh, so uh, we discovered that uh, we lived with squirrels. <laughs> that is, uh, we heard all this racket in the attic, and it was waking me up in the morning. And uh, I finally figured it out. They were the little red squirrels. You know, there's the big gray squirrels and some other colors, but these are the little red squirrels and uh, little rascals. And so, uh, you know, I've kind of always liked squirrels because they're kind of cute. They don't look like a rat. I mean, if they get wet, they do, but otherwise they look pretty good, you know. And so uh, uh, I've been okay with them, but I didn't like them in my house. I mean, you know, they weren't like in the rooms, but they were in the attic and they were a nuisance and they were waking us up. And so for the next uh, period of years, <laughs> we were trying to get rid of these things, and of course I'm gone, you know, two, three months at a time, and then I come back in the summer, and we're working at it, and everybody's giving me their, their remedy, and, and, and over time, we finally got them out of the attic, so that, that was a major deal. Uh, it's funny, they would, they would just chew a hole through the uh, cedar wood, and uh, so that's how they would do it, and at first we put metal up there, and then they would just chew until uh, they got past the metal, and then they go in there. Now we had a worse <laughs> uh, hole and so on. So finally we got them out of the attic, but there was another spot uh, in our house. Uh, you can go out the back, uh, there's some sliding doors, and it goes out onto a deck, and there's woods out there. <laughs> that's where the schools are coming from, and uh, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a door that goes into a basement, and there's kind of an angled roof line, and there's some cedar wood there, and now they were in at that point. And I thought, well, at least they're out of the attic. But again, I, don't, I didn't know how far they were penetrating the house. Then one day we found one dead in the furnace. I'm thinking, oh, that's not a good. <laughs> and uh, uh, then one day I saw that they had uh, chewed some wires, some of the electrical wiring. I thought, oh, man, they can burn a house down. And so this is when I really became a hunter. I've never been a hunter. I'm a Chicago kid. I grew up in Chicago and so forth. Uh, but uh, I've never been a hunter, but I became one. Now, I recognize uh, that Europeans and Americans have different attitudes about some of these things. <laughs> So I won't tell you that we got a, uh, a pellet rifle and killed 30 squirrels in one summer. Uh, I thought I better not tell you that. And uh, I won't tell you that uh, two summers later we got 26. In fact, Mary Lynn really got into it. She was out there like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> you know, where's the rabbit? <laughs> and uh, oh my. Well, still, they were in. We couldn't get rid of them. So finally, it was early 2019, I was fed up with this. And uh, I had these glue boards that you use for mice and rats. Now, again, I'm a city kid. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing about this stuff. But I thought, you know, they got that hole. They got to go in there. And so one night when I knew they were all in, I just stuck the glue board on top. <laughs> and it wasn't the kind that had the ridges. It was the flat kind that you have to fold. So I could just 
stick that, that glue board right on there. I thought, well, they're going to get a mouthful of glue, a glue in the morning. I had no idea if this would stop them. <laughs> it didn't stop them at all. Next morning, they had chewed right through that. <laughs> And uh, I don't know where the glue went. Good grief. And uh, now, you know, I did, now I've got this gaping hole with this, you know, glue board on there. And so now they're out in the woods laughing at the humans. And uh, I thought, you know, tonight they're going to come back in. So I had the one glue board, you know, horizontal, stuck over the hole this way. So I, stuck, I took another one for the glues facing out now because they're out. And I stuck it under the lip of the one that was face down. And I thought, you know, they're going to have to climb over that glue board to get in. The way the roof line was, I put one this way and one this way, and they had to go over that glue to get in. And I thought, you know, those guys move so fast, but let's just see. Well, the next morning, when I came out, all of a sudden I heard this noise up there, <laughs> and there was a little red squirrel hanging. I mean, it was three paws and a tail. <laughs> He was stuck. Now, undoubtedly, the guy had worked for hours that night uh, trying to get off that glue board. He could not get off. Now, he was out of energy, but well, when he saw me, he went ballistic. But he was stuck. <laughs> Three feet <laughs> and the tail. I mean, he was stuck. He could not get away. And so I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, now what do I do? Do I just let him die a slow death? Oh, no, I can't do that. That's cruel. So I did what you have to do at point-blank range. <laughs> oh, that's right. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, the moment that squirrel died, he fell off the glue board. And I remember scratching my head thinking, now, wait a second. He tried for hours to get off that board and couldn't. But when he died, he was unstuck. In fact, over the next two or three days, I kept this up because there was a clan of them, you know, and uh, I got two more, <laughs> and each time, they're stuck for hours until they died. I don't know if something happens and the, the fur comes out of the skin, whatever, but when they died, they would fall off. Now, do you get the picture? The old Jew, the old man, the unregenerated human spirit, the fallen condition because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden that was joined to that old sin master, that pull inside of you uh, uh, that, that urges you to commit sins. And you were chained to that guy. You were stuck to that guy. You were glowed. But the moment you believed in Jesus because he died to sin and you're in him, you died to sin. You got unstuck. And friends, you need to know that. It says so. Don't you know? You've got to know this. You are not in that position of forced slavery for he who has died has been freed from indwelling sin. Well, that brings us to a second fact. Not only did you die with Christ, you rose with Christ. So it's obvious. If you're in him and you're in his history, you died with him, but also you rose with him. Look at verse 5 of our text. It goes on to say, for if we have been planted together, there it is, united together through that baptism uh, that it talked about in verse 3, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So the old man dies with Christ, and then it is raised with Christ. Through resurrection with Christ, the old you was raised a new you. 
and was joined to a new leader who is the indwelling spirit. Now we're going to tie in with that put on Christ. Now think about this. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is called the new creation. In Ephesians 4.24, it's called the new man. See, there was the old man. Now it's the new man created. See, that's new creation. There's a creative act of God that took place when you were born again. That new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. See, that part of you that's new, that now regenerated human spirit, there's something that took place where God's saying that that part of you is righteous and holy because it says it's created, so it's a creative act of God, but it says created after God. So what does the after God mean? Now this is beautiful. I, I mentioned the term DNA last night. Here's why I kept saying that. In 1 John 3, 9, the Bible tells us that that part of you, this new man part of you, it's there described as God's seed. Now let me throw a Greek word at you because I think many of you will understand it. It's literally saying God's sperma. Now, here's the power of this. Do you know that when you're born again, something of the very nature of Almighty God is implanted into you? God's seed. God's nature. That's why Ephesians says the new man is created after God in righteousness. Why? God's nature is righteous. And holiness. Why? Because God's nature is holy. And friends... That's the new you. That's the real you. That's why, as we saw last night, God views you as righteous. In other words, from a legal standpoint, yes, you're declared righteous. That's justification. But we saw last night, through regeneration, there's a part of you that's made righteous. That's this part. It's your human spirit is now generated. The Holy Spirit generated the divine nature into you. That's why Galatians called you a child of God. You got the DNA. Your core is righteous. Your core is holy. Now we can ignore that and we can look like everything but that. I understand. But friends, you need to know, if you ever want your practice to catch up with who you are in Christ, you need to know who you are in Christ. Your core is righteous. And that's where the Holy Spirit moved in. Romans 7, 4 says it this way, you're raised with Christ so that you might be married, <laughs> joined, new union, new relationship to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. And so there had to be a part of you made holy for the Holy Spirit of Jesus to move in. So it's your spirit. The old man dies with Christ, is raised the new man so that the Holy Spirit of God can move in. And now you have a new union. You've been joined, married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. The spirit of the risen Christ who conquered sin, death, and hell and is exalted to the right hand of the Father. It is the spirit of that Jesus that moves in and joins your spirit. You have a new leader. Now, I call indwelling sin the old master I call, I call the indwelling spirit the new leader. Why don't we say master? He is Lord. Well, it's because of the way he has chosen to operate. He doesn't force you to do right. Just like he didn't force you to get saved, he convicted you so that you'd respond in faith. Okay, in the same way, this new leader just does, the, just, does just that. He leads, but you have to choose to follow. 
See, in the old relationship, the old man and the old sin master, it was forced slavery. But you got set free from that guy. Now you're raised with Christ, the new man, and joined to Jesus. But he doesn't force you. If you choose to, when there's a trigger of temptation and you feel the pull, you can go ahead and cave into that. But you don't have to because you're not joined to that guy anymore. See, now it's not forced slavery. It's voluntary slavery. What irony. Because... Jesus doesn't force us. You say, why doesn't he force us? I just wish he would. Well, then you'd be a robot. And God doesn't want robots. He wants a love relationship. He wants that cooperation of faith where you choose Jesus, where you love Jesus, and you trust Jesus. See, the old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed. The new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. And here's the beauty of this. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Just like the Bible says there's husband and wife called one flesh. There's regenerated spirit, the new man, and the Holy Spirit, the new leader. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You have been fused to Jesus. And friends, when you access Jesus, it's like you're about to drown out there in the ocean and somebody throws you that life vest. And you put on that life vest and the, the buoyancy of the life vest brings life. It, it counteracts and overcomes the sinking. And in the same way, when we access Jesus, his life counteracts and overcomes the sinking. You've been joined to Jesus. And by the way, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Because when you got his life, you got it in a twofold sense. His nature, his DNA was implanted in you, and then his spirit indwells you. You have what the Bible calls eternal life. Jesus is called that eternal life in 1 John 1, 2. Eternal life is not merely something, it's someone. You see, his nature was implanted so that he himself would move in. And friends, you cannot have eternal life for just a little while. It's not just that you can't have that which is eternal just for a short period of time. It's just that you are joined to Jesus and he said, I'll never leave. <laughs> you have eternal life. See, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. But that's not so that, okay, I'm going to heaven, I can go live like the devil. No, it's so that you can realize, hey, you died to sin, don't you know? You got severed from that sin master. You're joined to Jesus. You have the provision to finally live right this side of heaven. That's the whole point. And then there's a third fact, and I won't have you turn there. I'll just briefly mention it. Not only did you die with Christ and were raised with Christ, you ascended with Christ. And then, again, this is stunning. Uh, this is over in Ephesians 1 and 2. And through this ascension with Christ, the new you has ascended to being seated with Christ at the throne far above the enemy. The Bible tells us in Romans 1, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 19 and following, that God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand far above all principality and power. Chapter 2 says, and you have been raised together with him and have been seated together with him in that spiritual realm, the heavenlies, in Christ. You see, when you got baptized into Christ, you're in him. Therefore, his history, therefore, his death, therefore, his resurrection, therefore, his seat on the throne far above the enemy. 
Physically, we're right here in Tala, Dublin, Ireland. But for every born-again person here tonight, every child of God, in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, as Ephesians says, you're there! Because the spiritual realm doesn't have the restrictions of physical geographical boundaries. You're there. So Ruth Paxson, Missionary of China, 1930s, puts it this way, in Christ, we are as far above the power of Satan as Christ is. Now I'm going to tell you, that's glorious. You're there. And that means there's a means to deal with the enemy because you're far above all principality and power because you're in Christ. We'll apply that, Lord willing, in another message. But let's go to a third truth tonight. As we wrap up God's reasoning, it's, be it's because God identifies you with Christ's life. God identifies you with His history, death, resurrection, ascension. And now finally, God identifies you with Christ's acceptance. Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. God the Father said of God the Son, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this same God in His inspired Word tells us that we are accepted in the Beloved. Your acceptance is not because you perform well. Or none of us would be accepted. <laughs> oh, we can fake it, you know, in, you know, in certain settings, but we can't fake it all the time. You see, don't get me wrong. God wants us to live right. That's what we're talking about. There's all this provision to access Him, the life stream from the throne. But the fact is, we don't always access that. Tragically, sometimes we blow it big time. We get deceived and make a wrong choice. If our acceptance was based on our performance, we'd be in trouble. Our acceptance is based on Christ's performance. And we're in Him. And He is in us. See, that's the beauty of this. Obviously, God wants us to live right. But our acceptance is based on Jesus because He's the only one with a perfect record. And so there we have it. We're accepted in Him. See, Satan lies to us. Ah, you blew it today big time. I mean, you even you were even in church three times or two times yesterday, and look at you today on Monday. Oh man, are you ever a failure? What a dud. And pretty soon we're thinking, yep, that's right, I'm a dud. As long as you keep thinking that, that's what you'll live. That's that dirtball mentality. That's that sin conscious mentality we were seeking to confront last night. And you think that you are forever identified by the shame and the guilt that you feel from that worst day. Perhaps something you did or perhaps something that was done to you. And in our world of abuse, this is massive. And Satan plays off of this with his lies. Jesus said he's the father of lies. And he tries to get even people who are saved to think that they are forever identified by the shame and the guilt that they feel from that worst day. And friends, that is not true. God identifies you with Christ's life. God identifies you with Christ's history. You died to sin. You rose with him. You're joined to Jesus. Oh, you're in Christ on the throne far above the enemy. That's how God identifies you. Based on the fact that Jesus measured up for you. It's called salvation. 
And friends, we're accepted in Christ. And so Romans 5, the chapter we were in, in last night, verse 2 says, in whom, Jesus, we have access. So there's a key word. By faith into this grace wherein we stand. You see, salvation is by faith. Jesus said that when you believe on him, you have everlasting life, John 6, 47. But in the same way, once you're in him and he's in you, you can access him, this grace wherein you stand, by faith. Just like you trusted Jesus to move in, trusted Jesus to save you, forgive your sins, take you to heaven. You can trust him to impart his life to you now. That's heaven on earth. This is where you access the life stream. See, if you're in him and he's in you, then there is a constant connection. You are joined, and there is his life on the throne, and yet the Holy Spirit brings that throne life right into you every second of every day. It is a constant stream. And that's why Galatians 2.20 says Christ is living in us. And thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15.57, thanks be to God who is giving us the victory that you sang about. Our Lord Jesus Christ because his life is being streamed into us. But Galatians 2.20 says it's faith that accesses. Romans 5.2 says it's faith that accesses. That means unbelief, in a sense, blocks the flow of the stream from being manifested. Though he's there, you don't benefit in the full extent that God means for you to. Because you're not accessing. But when by faith you do, <laughs> you access that stream. Now, here's a dilemma. Our text said in Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, it's a done deal. But Romans 13, 14 says, Romans is the same book that's going to apply what we're in right now in chapter 6, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. Galatians says, you have put on Christ. Romans says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which one is it? Well, you have put on Christ, but faith must, must access what you have, and thus to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just like reaching up into that life vest, where his uh, life, like the life vest, is the, the buoyancy that counteracts, that lifts you up, that supernaturally frees you to counteract and overcome whatever trigger of temptation is in front of you. Ah, that's when you experience Jesus. You see, sin pulls, that entity still is in us, but we're not joined to him anymore. But he wants us to think what we are. And so when there's temptation, he says, go for it. But you're not joined to him. And you can say, I reject that. I'm joined to Jesus. And the moment you do, the live stream bursts forth and animates your personality. And at that moment, that pull toward the temptation immediately evaporates. It's called victory in Jesus. And you experience the live stream of Jesus from the throne. So, to tie it into where we were last night, keep the focus on Jesus. See, there's two basic pathways once you get saved. Please God, trust God. And most of us choose the pathway of, well, please God, I want to please Him. Which means your focus is on all the stuff you got to do. Outcome focus. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6? But without faith, trusting God, it's impossible to please Him. 
And the reason is, if you don't focus on Jesus, you don't access Jesus. And if you don't access Jesus, you don't please him. That's the simplicity of it. And friends, when you focus on Jesus, guess what? He enables you with his life. And guess what? Your outcome will be right. (laughs) Every time. Because he never leads us to sin. Never. He always leads us with his victorious life. But that's how you get there. You got to focus on Jesus. You got to trust his leadership. You got to trust his power. And friends, when that happens, you're accessing by faith this grace wherein you stand and you are experiencing the life stream of Jesus right from the throne. That is the privilege for every child of God. Life streaming the very life of Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer tonight. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. As we wrap this up, just a couple of thoughts. I wonder who tonight was a preacher. I didn't realize all that God had provided. And God is nurturing my faith tonight just by understanding that I died with Christ. I got severed from that sin master. I rose with Christ. God's nature is implanted into me. These are big thoughts. God's nurturing faith for me tonight. If that's you, would you raise the hand as a testimony? All right, wonderful. Yes, God bless you. Now, I wonder who it's a preacher. I thought my acceptance was based on my performance, and I see now that my acceptance is based in Jesus. I needed to hear that tonight. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, amen. Yes, God bless you. All right, thank you. Now, your identity is because you're in Him. Let me ask this. We can take the facts to experience the function of those facts. That's what we were dealing with tonight. But the provision for what we saw does mean you have to be in Christ. And that comes by faith. So just like we talked about accessing him by faith, you receive him to begin with by faith. I wonder if there's anyone in the audience that would say, Preacher, I don't think I've ever done that. (laughs) See, salvation is not just getting you to heaven. It's getting Jesus into you. And you into him. I wonder who it's a preacher. I don't know that that's ever happened. That is my need. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you just lift the hand up and I'll remember you in prayer. Yes, God bless you. Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless in these closing moments tonight. Lord, may we revel in the truth as it is in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you identify us literally with Christ's life. And that we are accepted in the beloved. Lord, give us the understanding and therefore the foundation for faith that we really are severed from the sin master. And that your nature has been implanted. And that we are now joined to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would access by faith this marvelous grace wherein we stand. Now with heads bowed, would you take a moment to talk to the Lord about what He's talking to you about as the music plays.